Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Vivian Shen. In 2017, Vivian founded Juni Learning, an online education platform for 7 to 18-year-olds to be the educational opportunity she wished she had growing up. As a kid, Vivian had an interest in courses her school didn't offer. When learning to code, Vivian remembers feeling insecure and learned best in personalized settings compared to lecture style. Through Juni Learning, Vivian is on a mission to provide students access to one-on-one teaching to ignite a passion for learning among all students, regardless of their interests and learning styles. Vivian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's really exciting to be here. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it, Vivian. We'd love to know a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, and what was it like for you while you were growing up? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure as, as a lot of people on this podcast probably are in similar positions, grew up in a very uh, sort of classic Asian American household uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, my parents actually came to the U.S. from China after the Cultural Revolution, um, had a really strong emphasis on education because Obviously, that was one of the big reasons why they were able to um, move to the U.S. They actually came here for for grad school. And so had sort of your, your typical really, really big focus on academics really was, I think, an, a really good experience for me to kind of get that push from my parents and get a little bit more of that kind of external locus of control where they were putting more pressure on me. But then I think as I got older, transitioned to really starting to explore what I was interested in from a learning perspective. And that I think was a big unlock for me as well. And it it sort of led me obviously to the company, uh, to founding Junie, because my dad was my first tutor, uh, first and last tutor to a certain extent, but he um, really, you know, sat with me and spent the time that I needed to get ahead um, where I needed it or get support where I needed it. And um, I think that, you know, our, our parents are always there to provide us with that support, but also it's challenging, like it's a lot of pressure. So um, that was, you know, a pretty classic upbringing to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I think hindsight 2020, right? When you are going through, through, through all of that as a kid, you're just like, why do you so hard on me about academics? Why do you push me so hard? But when you're finally an adult and you look back, you're like, wow, like they gave me a lot of fundamentals that I used, still use today. And we know that entrepreneurship, yeah. it's like, it's, we always, we know that entrepreneurship, you sort of draw upon like all the experiences you had in your life to kind of help you get to the next level. Right. And I want to dive deep, that, deep, 
I want to dive deeper into that for a little bit too, is that what, what type of experience did you had growing up and what type, what type of experience you had in your previous work experience that sort of prepare you for what you're facing today? You know, I kind of imagine like your, your days, like long list of to-dos, meetings, culture, all that stuff. Like let's walk us through that real quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that my, my sort of, let's call it like K-12 time experience was really um, influenced by, uh, frankly, I think to a certain extent, you have to tick all the base boxes, which I find that you do in, you know, running a company as well. Like you need to have healthcare, you need to have like all these kinds of foundational things that, um, you know, companies try to offer and, um, as, uh, and they're sort of literally basic things like how do you send an email? How do you, uh, sell to a customer, things like that. Um, but I think the X factor on top of that is really the resilience that you get from, you know, especially coming from an immigrant family, my, um, being a startup founder is basically all about getting knocked down and getting back up again every single time. And, um, I think my parents have always really instilled that from it for me from a really young age and also, um, you know, held, had me hold a really high standard for myself, which I think keeps me going. Um, on the flip side, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure because I think I have um, very high expectations of myself, uh, but it, it kind of keeps me going forward and, and pushing on making the company as, as great as it can be. Um, and as well, you know, in my past work experiences, uh, I I've worked in some very typical, uh, sort of jobs that, uh, let's say look very good on your resume. I've been an engineer, I've been in consulting. Um, and then I also have worked at a startup that, um, that folded. And so I've taken some risks in my career sort of after getting a, a foundation for, for my resume and getting some brand names on there. But I think I've learned the most from when I've uh, taken a little more risk there. And that's, you know, obviously served me well as well with the company that it's, it's always risky to start your own venture, but um, you usually learn outsized amounts from it as well. Yeah. So let's dive deep into the nuances of the lessons learned, right? I know that I do agree with you. I used, I used to be a software engineer and I worked at the big companies too. Yeah. Your parents can brag to everyone. Oh, my kid, we're here and here. But yeah, you learn the most when you work at a smaller environment. Can we talk a little bit more about that too? It's like, what did you learn during your startup experience that kind of led you down the path of, hey, how about I become a founder and I want to create something that I'm passionate about and turn that into reality? Right. What kind of lessons learned can you sort of explain and sort of walk us through so our listeners can understand too? Yeah. I mean, I think number one was sort of better done than perfect. Um, and there's so much about founding a company that's just about what's the real true minimum viable product that I need to get out there. You know, can I just get away with having a landing page and see how much traffic it gets to that? Like things like that. I think. Um, I, I was totally different versus when I was at Google, every small change that you made could impact potentially millions of people losing access to Gmail. Like, I don't think I had those kinds of permissions, but that's the, the level that you're at versus with, um, when you're starting something small, you know, it, you need to just launch and get out there. And, and that was a big, 
uh, learning for me from, from a startup versus when I was at a big company. Um, I also think people management and sort of like team culture was one where when you're at a bigger company, that's already kind of imposed on you top down. But when you're at a smaller company, you're still defining the future of the company with everybody else there. Every additional hire can sort of shift the the center of mass for the company as well, depending on what kind of a person they are. And I think that I had underestimated that when I was at a really big company because every new person is not really going to change the culture of Google necessarily. Uh, but if there's only you know 20 people on the team, then one person is very significant to that. And so that actually, when I was you know first starting Juni, that was a really big consideration for us was who did we want to be in those first couple seats? And on an ongoing basis as well, um, when we bring in new folks, there's still such an outsized impact that they have on the team um, that I you know try to really be focused on the kinds of values that we want, you know, ownership, um, taking risks, that kind of thing with with the folks that we bring on. Very, very true. I mean, the first couple of people that you bring on, they really do determine like the culture and just the work ethic, you know, because your personality really seeps into the company or the organization that you run. And so the first couple of people are always, always very critical. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about just like when you were starting Juni, because I know that when you were working at your startup, um, you didn't really you know, transition in a way where you had Juni as your side hustle. So you like, you know, started Juni right after you ended up your, you know, career with your startup. And so I want to talk about like what that experience was like and, you know, any challenges that you had, any, any imposter syndrome that you had and like what was going through your mind at that time. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the psychological feel of just jumping cold turkey. Cause a lot of people warm up to the idea of well, side hustle, see if it works. Very few people jump like you, the way you did. We want to hear more about that. What was going through your mind at that moment? Yeah, I, um, I've i always sort of been like a, a burn the ships type of mentality, which is that I think it's quite hard to have your feet in two places. Personally, I think there's a lot of people who are excellent at it. I'm just not one of those people. Um, and so, yeah, at the time, the last startup that I was at was shutting down and I sort of had to parallel process whether I was going to um, interview at other companies uh, and, you know, various stages of companies or um, start my own venture. And, you know, within your own venture, like you could do things that were more independent, like just be a contractor and still work for other companies or actually start your own thing. Um, so I think there was a there was a time where I was basically trying out a bunch of these different hats and seeing what I wanted to do. Um, and then I sort of set a little bit of a time box and mental box for myself, which was like, hey, if there's something on this um, side, side project side, side hustle side that I'm excited about within six months and I get some customers or some traction, then I'm going to keep doing it. Otherwise, that's probably a good break point for me to reconsider my options and potentially go look for another role somewhere else. Um, and I think that was in June, May or June or so of 2017. And then um, almost like to the week or so of my de self-imposed deadline, um, we got into Y Combinator, which I think was a big um, sort of uh, like validation for us. But even before that, we had had a few customers, like I was handing out flyers for the product itself and just really trying to get out in front of as many people as possible. So um, that was sort of the initial validation that I needed. And then, um, but yeah, I had already kind of committed 
even as soon as June that I was like 100% in on this. And then if it didn't work out, I would decide at a later point in time, instead of trying to do a couple things, not very well, um, which, which I'm would, would have personally fallen into the trap of. And I think the other thing that always keeps people going on, on the venture side is that if you have customers who are loving what you're doing. And so I knew that I was solving a problem that I had faced as a student myself. And my, I know my parents had faced as parents of finding this kind of an education product for their kids where they, they feel that kind of validation. And I remember with those first couple students when I was working with them, like to see the progress that they're making and how fun they thought it was and that their parents are actually willing to pay money for it. Like those were all indications to me that there was a business there um, and that like a product that students would also love. So that I think was the other thing that kept me going longer um, than, you know, if I'd been working in a vacuum uh, without having that, that kind of customer validation and knowing that I was building something that I would have wanted to use myself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I, I mean, shout out to, to junior learning because I, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm dating myself here, but when I was studying computer science, like it, a lot of times my professors just explained things to me that I just needed to listen again. And oftentimes I would do like a course on the side so I could reiterate that content that is explained differently. So I think that impact you're making is large, right? So, so thank yeah. you so much for doing that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to your point, like everybody has a very different learning style and that's, I think that it's, it all kind of ties back because, um, growing up, like my, my style was very different. Like I was that kid who would get like an 89.7% on, you know, in the class and try to get that rounded up to an A minus. And there's other kids who are like really struggle or they were always trying to get a hundred and you just have kind of different personas of people and what they resonate with. I know like project-based learning typically works for everybody. And that's why we focus on that. And um, there's just a lot of ways that if you expand the offerings for students, you can get, you can get them to um, really love what they're doing. And I I do feel like coding is one of those things that's like, everybody actually loves it once they start, but they usually don't have the right intro to it. And so, um, yeah, it's very traumatizing. If you don't get the right right foundation, you're building top of the week and you just get traumatized after every assignment. And you're like, Oh my God, I can't do this. I remember, I think my mom actually tried to sign me up for a C plus plus class in high school. And it was like a full day just to get the environment set up on your computer. Oh my God. And I then, remember. Yeah. Yeah. And every time you re-logged back in, you had to reset up a bunch of stuff and you didn't kind of focus on like the core logic of actually programming. You were so busy trying to set up your computer every single time. I remember that was like a huge barrier for me. Um, and, and I, I was like, mom, I'm never going to use this. So I refused to take this class. And then when I was in college, I, uh, you know, I think my mom knew best. <laughs> and so I took my first yeah, coding class in college and it was very difficult. Um, and I wish I had just stuck with it when I was a little younger or that the intro had been a little more, um, you know, conducive to a first time programmer. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean for our listeners. As a, as a fellow programmer, sometimes when you follow the instructions in the book, it still doesn't work. <laughs> no, 
No, and then yeah. it'll give you like ten different reasons why it didn't work, and it's like it might have been your operating system, might be exactly. your hardware, like all these different things. So many like, factors. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the early days of Juni. Because we mentioned that you jumped in with two feet to make it happen because you know it shouldn't have to be handed to me jars. But let's talk about like the the pressure and the financial struggle at the beginning because this is the part that gets to a lot of early stage founders like. I'm bootstrapping, I'm leaving off my savings, I fully believe, believe my mission. How did you structure in a way where not only are you building a strong product, but you're taking care of your financial needs in, term, in terms of generating revenue for the company and like continue taking care of your employees and growing? Like, what Walk us through that stage of your, of your early days of Juni. Yeah, um, it's really, it's really interesting because I... Um, like yourself, I'd worked in some, you know, relatively well-paying jobs and they had very clear trajectories towards, you know, literally like if you go to, if you go Google it, like you can find the engineering salaries for, um, you know, for Google. Uh, and that's not the case with being an entrepreneur. Like you can make nothing for a very long period of time. And then hopefully that turns into way more and it compounds. Um, so I do think that's like one mindset shift, which is that when you're, when you're at a role, it's very secure and you know what you're going to get and you know what the trajectory looks like, but it's probably capped to a certain extent. And then being an entrepreneur hopefully means that what you're building compounds over time. And it kind of has like an exponential impact on your financial situation. But that initial period where you're in the flat zone before it goes to uh, exponential is really tough. Um, so I had a little bit saved up, uh, but that was also part of the reason why I set that time box for myself, which is like, okay, in, in these six months, like I'm really going to try to make this work because I literally don't think I can afford to, to do this for that much longer if I still want to have savings. Um, and like, it's really going to put my, my feet to the fire and force me to really double down on what I'm doing and kind of like feel the pressure. Um, I think also this was 2017. I don't think the stock market was doing very well then. Like there's it's a bunch of, it's really interesting now because if you're willing to, to be relatively risky about it, like you could probably still take the funds that you have going into starting your side hustle and put it into sort of like passive, um, passive ways of, of returning your money. But at the time that was not really an option for me as well. Um, and so, yeah, it was really like at a certain point you had to make some kind of income, um, pretty soon. Uh, and, and I think time boxing it was what helped me kind of get over the fear of having zero, um, coming in so that I knew at some point I would either have something coming in from my own company or from, you know, somebody else, uh, if, if I wanted to take that path again. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, Brian and I just running Asian Hustle Network, we definitely understand, you know, the first year or so it's like, you know, you also have to think about the company at all times. It's like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you start to wonder like, oh, should I be paying myself? How much should I be paying myself? You know, should I go back to the company? It's extremely, extremely hard. I definitely, you know, we definitely understand that struggle. Yeah. 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 And you have to keep a positive mindset too. I think they tell you yeah. a lot that a lot during YC and everyone else is struggling or any sort of accelerator program. It's like, you have to keep going. The light at the end, is at the end of the tunnel and you're like, what light? Where's the tunnel? Am I in the right tunnel? <laughs> I think, yeah, that's, that's one of the scariest things is like, you don't know 
if you're standing on it's it's like it literally is like climbing a mountain and then all the mountains also kind of look the same while you're climbing them so you don't know if you're climbing a mountain or a molehill and you kind of you also like can kind of see the other people who are climbing the mountain as well and they always look like they're ahead of you and Mm -hmm. once you pass somebody you don't even think about the fact that you've like passed somebody or you're you're doing like you're at a higher camp than, than that next person. You're always kind of like never feeling like you're, you've made it yet. Um, right. I think even like incredibly successful founders feel like they're still not at the top of the mountain. I know, there's always crazy. something they could be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your turning point too. Like what was the turning point of Junie where it's like, yeah, I made it past my six months. It's going to be a real thing. We're making our first hire employer. You have to come with an HR structure. Our burn rate is now real. We're like, oh my God, it's, it's happening. So what was that turning point for you? I think, I, I mean, definitely raising funding is always a turning point. Um, and I, I think that's that's like a very real point where you're like, oh, okay, I am the steward now for other people's capital. And it's not just me and my my own living that I'm, I'm, you know, potentially throwing away here, but like there's other people who entrusted me with this. So that was definitely a big shift um, for us as well. I think even when we had customers, it was like, we knew we could make a product that was great for them. Um, but when I think you, you raise funding, it's like, okay, this is a real company now. It's not just a product, it's a, it's a company. And so that turning point for us, yeah, was towards the end of 2017. And then we raised a little more money, um, in the first half of 2018. So, uh, that was, I think the big point where it's like, Oh, okay, this is real. And you know, there are some people who are expecting things out of us. Um, and then every, I think if you also, if you don't have an external factor like that, I do think things like customers are always important to think about as you, you have a real company now, like they're paying for the product and things like that. Um, but yeah, that was the the one for us. And it's sometimes just like a mental shift that you have to make where you're like, okay, I'm committed to this now. Um, let, let's do it. And yeah, you, you burn the shifts and you decide you're not going to interview for other things. <laughs> yeah. That mentality is a long way. Go ahead, Maggie. For sure. I mean, you are building something so remarkable and I personally can, you know, say that you're changing lives. Um, Like you mentioned, like everyone's learning style is so different, you know, and some people don't really learn well in settings where they're in a classroom. Right. And there's not a lot of like one on one interaction with your teacher. And I think a lot of parents feel the same way where teachers don't give that, you know, tender, loving care to each and every single student because it's just impossible. You know, it's very, very hard. You have if you have like 30, 40 children in one classroom. Um, and so I, I do want to know, you know, it seems like Junie has grown so much. I think the last article that I read about Junie, you guys were teaching about 50,000 live classes to kids 8 <laughs> to 18. I'm not sure how much that number has changed now, but. Um, you know, just like growing from 20 employees to nearly 60 and then you hire 300 student instructors. I kind of want to know like the process of what that looks like. Like if someone wanted to teach for Juni or if you were looking for an instructor to teach a class for Juni, what does that process kind of look like internally? Yeah. Um, so we, oh, we, it's a pretty thorough process, I would say, but it's interesting because um, we definitely look for folks with subject matter expertise, like you should know programming, but uh, it's more important for us, uh, for, for our programming instructors, but it's more important for us to 
have folks who can really inspire students and it's more of kind of like that soft skills that's really tough for um for folks i don't know if you guys found this with your your teachers growing up but i always remember the instructors who maybe they weren't you know the world's number one uh physicist but they really they could show you like that coke and mentos experiment and and yeah. could, like measure how far the coke was going to go or something like that like those kinds of moments i think are so much more important to students who are at that age where they can you know really decide like they love something and, and have it become their thing that's like such a key moment for, for kids. Um, and so for us, it's always like, how can we spark more of those moments and how can we get kids thinking about what they want to do in the real world, you know, after school and get them prepared for that. Um, so we, we really try to expose students to a bunch of different teaching styles and also, um, subjects and projects that they can work on and kind of like get the feel for what they're excited about. And then they can kind of double down on that as well. Um, and I think what you mentioned as well about uh, sort of like that human experience of getting the support that you need is is so critical. Like that's very core to what we do. I think we we obviously have like recorded content and things like that um, on the platform as well. But what we always hear from parents is literally like, oh, when I call Junie, I can get in touch with somebody who knows how my student is doing and they can provide me information. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that that's like a competitive advantage is, is kind of wild, but I don't think a lot of companies care about their customers like that anymore. Um, and, and we really do. And then obviously with the, um, instructors as well, like they, the way that they work with students is like, they see little mini me versions of them (laughs) in in their students. And, like trying to, you know, and for the kids, like seeing somebody that they could eventually turn into like a mentor like that is and a role model is, is really key. So, um, I think that's why the product just resonates a lot with me and, and I think with people as well. Uh, and so, yeah, to answer your question, that X factor of kind of like being a role model for students is really there. And then, yeah, uh, the interview process is is almost more focused on watching somebody teach a live class and see how that goes. Um, and we we obviously expect some level of the subject matter expertise, but it's really more about are you do you have that drive to to support students? That's amazing. Uh, I I mean it's it's so awesome just hearing like even if it's e learning classes and courses to have that level of, you know, attention and for, you know, the instructors to know exactly, you know, where they are at, where the student is at in terms of their learning experience is, is just amazing. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. all the love and attention you give all the students, you know, it makes one heck of a difference in the, in the impact of and lives that you're making for these kids going forward. Because again, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's like that foundation is so important. You know, that's how what makes education fun is when you was when you sort of build on top of something and sort of get it right off the bat. But again, every person is different. Every kid is different. And thank you for catering to, to their needs basically. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Um, I actually wanted to share this story. Um, Cause I know y'all were asking a little bit about my experience growing up. Um, and I actually, when I was in high school, I was getting a C minus in my, my math class, which uh, we know is not, not a good thing to be doing. Uh, and so um, I was getting a C minus in this math class. 
And I was super lost in, in the classroom. It was basically like a lecture. Um, it went to a, a public school and it was a very good public school, but it was still, you know, pretty big ratio of, of kids to teacher. Um, and my dad was like, I just, I will not stand for this. Like you are going to be good at math because I know that you're trying to sandbag me. And, um, I had wanted to, it was the honors class and I wanted to drop down a lane to the, the regular class. And my dad was like, absolutely not. And he sat with me for, I think it was like a month or two. And he made me do every problem in the textbook front to back and like extra problems as well. And then at the end of the tunnel, when we were done, I was like six months to a year ahead of whatever we were doing in school. And so then math was like so easy because I basically already had practiced all of it. And then I kind of needed to like remind myself when it came back up in school. Um, and I always tell my dad, like, I was such a pain in your butt when that happened, dad, but thank you for making me do that because like math was just so foundational for it getting into coding and like being able to do data analysis as a founder and things like that. Like, that's just been, I, I'm really glad that he was like, I'm not going to let you give up on yourself like that. And most, not every kid has somebody like that, like that kind of applies that pressure, but also that support as well. Um, I think this is a bit of an extreme example, but I always kind of, I always bring it back to like with Junie, you know, I don't want kids to have those moments where they feel lost and they feel like they're not good enough to do something because it's really just about staying committed, like trying different things out. If you do your best and you're it's still just not for you, like you're not going to be an engineer, that's okay. Um, but there's some like foundational things that you should try and you should hopefully get the love and support of, of um, you know, instructor to, to really get you to love the, the subject as well. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to attitude, right? You can, easily be very salty about that experience and be like, oh man, like my dad's <laughs> applying all this pressure on me to do well. And, you know, it's, it comes to show that who you are as a person too, because you didn't take it as a negative experience. You took it as a positive experience, you know? And it's funny because yeah. I think that my parents said something similar to me, but not as extreme. They're like, um, especially math too. I, I have situations where I personally did every single math problem in the book because I wasn't doing too well in algebra. <laughs> yeah. Same, yeah. Same. It's a foundation thing because it ended up helping us so much, so much along down the line of like thinking fundamentally, like everything in the world is math, right? It's how you make logical decisions and programming and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy for that. So I'm kind yeah. of... I love that story too. Um, I mean, it's, you, you bring up a really great point because I feel like oftentimes there's so much pressure, especially with Asians, that if we think we're not good at something, then, you know, it's, it's our fate. If we think like, oftentimes we're like, oh, if we're not, if we're not good at math, maybe I'm not meant to be in this role or, or something like that. Right. But usually it's, it's just because we don't have the opportunities to learn more about it or the opportunity to really dive into that subject more. Right. And if the opportunity was in front of us, we even if like it wasn't meant for us, we could at least know the fundamentals, the foundational stuff. Right. And I think you, you bring up a really great point, And I love that story. My parents also kind of like forced me to learn math as well. I mean, I think all Asian parents did. It's but an Asian thing. It is an Asian yeah. thing. But I yeah. feel like you're 
your story was a lot more wholesome. My my dad would just stand behind me with a ruler. Oh my <laughs> and like, god. Okay, he would like yeah. force me to like, you know, do all the math problems. But then at the end of the day, like I mean, there was no like hitting or anything, but then it was more like do the math problems or else you're gonna regret it. But then at the end of the day, it's like I thank him for doing that because I otherwise I wouldn't have like done the math problems, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I skipped the part where I was definitely grounded. I mean, C minus came home. So it wasn't like I was, you know, giving up on hanging out with my friends of my own volition to to do these math problems. But yeah, it's um I, I think without without that, like I would be such a different person. And so um, it was painful, but uh, I, you know, I, I thank them now for, for that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand. I want to change gears a bit and talk about the fundraising process for Junie, right? Because you statistically, you're a very small minority of the bigger pie. And we know that, you know, like you're a minority woman, um, raising statistically against white male, Asian male, whatever. What was that fundraising process like? And did you feel any sort of pressure and, and pre prejudice against you in any single way as you're going through, through this entire process and how'd you overcome them? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I do feel like stereotypes can work in your favor or to your detriment. So for example, Um, I have Indian male friends who studied like English and they're automatically assumed to be engineers. And I am automatically assumed to usually be the business person because of, you know, the way that I speak or the way that I dress, whatever the case is. Um, and so kind of when I, when I am, when I double down on being a technical person, it ends up actually, I think getting more respect for myself than, than I would have, um, than I would, you know, would have expected, but frankly, yeah, it's something where I still have to kind of like have every single credential out there in order to feel like I have my seat at the table and that people take me seriously. And kind of like, once we get over that hump, then it, it, it is a different conversation. Um, and I, I think that the, the spotlight that's been put on folks now to invest in more female founders, people of color, like that's been really, um, helpful, but I don't know that it's showing up in the numbers as much yet. And so it's, it's tough. Like I, it's tough for, for folks in the space. And, um, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm used to being the exception to the rule, but it, it is definitely sometimes, um, it's sometimes stressful to, to think about. So like all that I can do is I think support other female founders in the space and try to make whatever connections that I can and, and pass along whatever knowledge that I have to other folks as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also been a positive for me because I think people really understand why I'm building Junie of all the products that I could be building because of my background and because of what I'm really excited about like from a mission standpoint for the world of prepping all these students for the real world and, and kind of like making this experience for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think so far, knock on wood, it's, it's worked out, but like, again, I'm in a very privileged position where I went to a school that's really well networked amongst 
investors and I studied computer science, like did all these things to have, have all of that on my resume. So I can even get into those rooms. That's, um, that's something that I, you know, I, I think is a, is a reality. I'm, I'm really glad you see, you know, the positive side to that too, because, you know, it does come with challenges, but at the same time, it, it does open up doors for us as well. If you look at it differently um, there, I mean, Right now, I'm sure there's like so many different e-learning, you know, companies, um, especially after the pandemic and us, you know, having to work remotely and go to school remotely as well. Um, I do want to know, like, how do you view competition and what do you see as like the biggest differentiator for junior learning compared to the others? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, sort of uh, generally on competition, I am very excited that the pie has gotten bigger for everybody. Like when we started the company in 2017, it's like, Oh, you know, what's the market size? Like, does this exist? Do parents want this? Do kids want this? All of those questions I think are shelved to a certain extent. Like obviously something in the, like something I believe was going on before COVID, uh, but now everybody can see that. And so that's been very exciting. Obviously it means there's more folks in the space who want a piece of that pie. Um, But the way that I think about Juni is like, all of the the product that we've built is is in and of itself so much better of an experience than pretty much everything else that I've seen out there. When we ran our last NPS, I think it was 90, our NPS score was 94. And I think really what people resonate with us on is that we have this project-based curriculum. We have this platform where students can build all of their projects within it and share them out to the world and build this portfolio as well. And then obviously with the instructors, that kind of like final triumvirate of us being able to really show students a role model, somebody that they would hopefully want to become someday. Those are the things that make us, us really special. Um, and I, of course, uh, I of course believe that our team is very special as well. And, and like the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis are um, really excited about building something that, students love and that they, they find, you know, my success for me would be when a kid is graduating college. They're like, Oh, I learned more from Junie now that I'm entering the workforce than I did from college. Like that would be kind of like, if we really, really did everything that, that we promised. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, I guess for the next part of the podcast is I want to dive more personal in a personal level because we view you, you absolutely absolutely view you as someone that's very very strong and a very strong leader that really knows herself really well but we know that the founder's journey is very rough and very tough and a lot of times we're looking at the mirror and be like man i'm so lonely like, i don't know if i can do this you fill yourself with doubt how do you take care of yourself and how do you take care of your mental health in particular because i feel like this is a topic that is still not talked about enough and just to hear that from the founder experience too gives us a sense that we're not in this journey alone. And there's a lot of people going through the same things that we're going through. So how do you take care of your mental health and in a daily basis? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, I was debating this with one of my, my friends. I, um, I, I went to a therapist for probably like two years when I was in college. And at a certain point, I sort of just said, you know what, I can't keep reopening scabs. And I just 
this isn't working for me. And I, so it, it's interesting because like, I definitely think that folks need external resources, but it can be very different for different people. Like I just found that sort of like traditional therapy was not very helpful, but things like, you know, going to work out or taking classes outside of work. Like I take this pottery class and I'm horrible at pottery, but it just takes your mind off of everything else. Um, and then obviously as well, like having the right support system around you of people. And um, I have an exec coach as well, which is kind of like my, my, my substitute for having a therapist. She's basically like my therapist, but um, she can give me also like business advice from other founders that she's talked to um, in the past as well. So it feels a little more tactically helpful versus um, I think for other people, like they just, they have a lot going on in their personal lives, like other things and, and having a a therapist for that is, is much more critical. Um, For me, it's very much like on the daily ups and downs of the business. That's where I feel the most tired. Um, and that's why kind of having that kind of a support system works the best. Obviously like investors as well are very vested in the company doing well, but they're also there for you to get support from. And so I think that's one thing that people don't, um, don't talk about enough with investors is, is that, yeah, they're, they're buying a piece of your company and they share on the success and the failure of the company as well. So they really want to be there for you and you should use them as, as a resource. Um, and you know, I personally, my husband is also a startup founder. And so that was one of the, the big things for me, um, was that we kind of were going through the same problems at the same time, but everybody needs the right support system for them. And then I, I also just try to do things that are totally outside of the wheelhouse of work to try to keep myself sane, even though I'm very bad at them, like this pottery thing. (laughs) That's, I mean, we all need a support system and help at the end of the day. Right. And sometimes it's, it's hard for founders and entrepreneurs to admit that we need help. Cause oftentimes when people ask us, Hey, how's the business going? We often like to say, everything's perfect. You know, everything's going well. But, you know, sometimes we just need someone who understands, you know, for us to talk about all the nuances and things we're going through. So that's really great advice. Yeah, Um, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um, it really depends on the situation or like the week, because sometimes the way that I actually stay sane is by ignoring things like uh, if it's not productive to think about it then just not talking about it, not thinking about it is way better. And like enjoying my Saturday and just, if there's nothing that I can really do until Monday, like that's actually the most important thing for me to do is just to take the time, this mental time off um, versus, you know, there's some other days where it's like, oh man, I have to deal with this right now. And like the only way to make this better is by literally going to my email and sending that email that I need to do to fix this thing. And it, it just like really, really depends on, on the situation. And so um, I, I do, I do think that um, sometimes, yeah, literally like ostriching and ignoring something for a little bit keeps you more sane. And then other times like tackling it head on um, and just trying to literally fix the problem probably helps. More. Yeah, I agree with you. I think setting boundaries is really, really important. This is like me time. This is work time. It's, it's so easy yeah. to just merge it together by accident. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like you find yourself even more tired when you don't set me time, right? So set boundaries for yourself. It's important. Yeah. 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 
So this is, there's the early part of your podcast where I want to clarify to your listeners about burning bridges. Uh, not burning bridges, burning the whatever path. Ships. ships. <laughs> burning ships. Don't don't yeah. burn don't burn your bridges. Like keep maintain your relationships. Yeah. Um yeah, maintain your relationships with people, like burn your ships, that's fine. I, I see a lot of successful people talk about that. It's because <laughs> you have nowhere to go but up, you know? Yeah. But maintain your relationships, don't burn ships. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I mean don't burn the I don't know, the bridge. Sorry. <laughs> you guys get it <laughs> i'm getting myself confused yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right go ahead maggie <laughs> so we do want to know you know what is your your goal for juni learning for the next five years yeah i mean our vision is that we teach every student everything wherever they are whatever format they need um and we really just have a world where all these kids they uh, can make their mark on on the world and yeah i would i would love i mean i already see this with the instructors because they're a little on the older side but there's like this whole alumni network of junior instructors who go out and do amazing things and um starting to see that with the students as well and um it's just been really incredible i think the impact that um that the students can have on the world too and for me, if we can facilitate more and more of those kids coming out into the world and, and being those kinds of change makers, um, that, would, that, that would be a success for me. So um, I am very excited about that. And obviously, we're, I think I'm very blessed because we can work on a company that obviously is a big business um, and, you know, uh, at the same time, have that, that dual impact of making something great for for people so uh yeah i just love it amazing we're very excited as well so we have one last question for you vivian and that is if you could give an advice to an aspiring entrepreneur what would that what advice be Ooh, um can you two <laughs> go ahead okay well, my, my first very tactical one is that I think being a founder is all about sales. And so I highly recommend for folks to take a sales class. Like I know that these movies, like these Alec Baldwin, um, you know, scenes on YouTube are like, they seem like they're all a bit of a scam, but um, everything that you do is storytelling and sales and trying to get, you know, employees hired, um, trying to raise funding, all of that. It's a very tactical skill to have and getting a lot of practice on that is, is one thing. The second, which is less um, tactical, basically that it's going to be much harder than you think it is, but you're also much stronger than you think you are. Um, and I think, I think I conceptually knew that starting a startup was going to be hard once I started, but I didn't know how hard. Uh, a lot of people liken it to having a kid where you kind of like read all the books and you know it's going to be a bit crazy. But then after that first, you know, few weeks of not sleeping, you're like, oh my God, this is infinitely harder than I thought it would be. And um, I think that's very true for anybody starting their own company. Um, but at the same time, like you build so much resilience so quickly because so much happens so fast. Uh, and so the, I remember like the first time something really bananas happened and I had to like uh, send an email at like two in the morning, like fix something. I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how I dealt with that. And then now if something like that happens, I'm like, oh yeah, that's just par for the course. Like I'm, I'm used to that. And I, there's always like new problems that come up, but um, you just get like 
you just become battle worn and, uh, you know, you, you, you can do it. You can make it. You just become tougher, you know, the situation yeah. <laughs> is worse, but you're just tougher as a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I, think I think with you sharing though, it's so cool because like with other founders, when you meet them, you just have this sense of acknowledgement. It's like, yep, I know what you mean. <laughs> you just sort of nod <laughs> and smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, your life is painful and you question why you did this to yourself. Uh, but it's also the best thing that you did. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. So Yeah. I always tell people it's a, it's a choice. It really is a choice. He chooses pain. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why actually, you know, having a mission that you care about is so important. Like I personally, you know, with, with Juni, like it's the first company that I've started. Um, and I think after, you know, you're usually what I've heard from folks is, like your first company is kind of like what you're really passionate about. And then maybe your second or third company is like all of the problems that you had when founding the first company, you want to solve those problems again. So that's hopefully what, what happens. But from a mission standpoint, like I do think you have to really work on something that you can get up and do every day or else it, it will get much more tiring, much faster otherwise. Oh yeah, absolutely. You do have to be passionate and know what is the reason why you're waking up every single morning, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we are wrapping up now. And thank you so much for just being on this podcast and sharing your story with us, Vivian. Um, I want to let our listeners have the opportunity to find out more about you. So where can they find out more about you and Juni Learning online? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's Vivian M as in Mary S-H-E-N uh, or on LinkedIn. I love talking to folks who um, are starting their own ventures. They need help, whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, we definitely love to connect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vivian. It was amazing having you on our podcast and for you to share your story with us today. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks so much. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.